Well, it's a very warm welcome to Dvinka Kashur, who is a Ukrainian living in South Africa. Dvinka, nice to be talking with you to get some proper insight into what's going on in your home country. How long have you been in South Africa? Thanks, Alec, for having me. Uh, I've been here for over a decade. I studied in the UK after I did uh, my studies in uh, Kiev, in Ukraine. I did my master program in the UK and um, happened to meet uh, my husband, who's very passionate about South Africa, and he is South African, um, really wants to make South Africa a better country. And uh, this was the reason why I followed him and moved to South Africa as well. And you have family, presumably, in Ukraine? Yes, uh, I've got um, my parents, uh, they still live in Kiev and they're currently in Kiev and um, uh, my sister um, also, in, she lives normally in Kiev, but currently she fled with uh, her children to the western part of Ukraine. Are you able to be in contact with your parents and your sister? Uh, yes, yeah, so luckily uh, Kiev and the western part of Ukraine still has a very good uh, connection. So unlike uh, those Ukrainians whose uh, parents are in Suma region and uh, in the Donetsk region, uh, especially in Mariupol, the connection has been really bad and people were not able to talk to their relatives for sometimes two weeks. So they live with the hope that um, their relatives are alive, um, but um, it's very difficult to get in touch um, in some of the areas because of the Russian invasion. What do your parents tell you is happening? So uh, in in this month, uh, because it's been quite a long time, uh, they have uh, learned very well to distinguish uh, different explosions because um, Kiev is attacked every single day and night. So they can hear when the Ukrainian air defense system is catching them. Um, Russian bombs and they can hear when the scouts on the ground, Russian scouts manage to get through and they put the explosion like they did uh, when they actually exploded the, the TV um, um, uh, tower uh, which is positioning at the Baba Yar, the famous Holocaust uh, place of worship. So the sound of those um, explosions are different. They can also hear the gun shoots on the streets, um, so um, uh, regularly the government announced that you cannot leave uh, your houses because uh, there are um, different Russian groups in Kiev, so we will be fetching them. So please, all civilians stay in your apartments. So that's what they hear. They, they, um, they're living on the fifth floor of the multi-storied uh, apartment and they can hear all different kinds of explosion and learning about the war that we previously learned only from the books and from our grandparents um, now this is the reality they live on the fifth floor of an apartment building it sounds quite exposed yeah so when there are sirens which go seven to ten times a day and also during the night uh, you have to move to the bomb shelter and then when the siren stops and you can go back to your uh, apartment um, in the last uh, week uh, shops uh, were still operating and open so it's really the case of following the guidelines from the government all the time uh, depending on the safety situation and following it how are they feeling about what the ukrainian government is doing um, i think uh, they feel that ukrainian government is very very much with the 
population with Ukrainian population uh, because my parents decided to stay in Ukraine so that because it's their land they spend their life trying to fight for independent Ukraine when it was still a Soviet Union and then trying to contribute to this country and building its independence so when we hear that uh, some people in South Africa uh, would say that you know South African democracy was not delivered on a silver plate this is exactly the case of Ukraine and I think in that sense I feel Ukrainian people was a young or old are standing on their land. They are standing for their country, for their freedom, for their democracy. And this is the reason why they are there. And when you hear the South African government uh, standing perhaps with Vladimir Putin and with the Russians, uh, how, how, how do you process that now living in South Africa and having been here, as you said earlier, for a decade? I feel extremely sad because um, while we officially do not have the reasons to say that there is an agreement uh, between Russia and South Africa, there are so many questions on this behavior that it leaves us with with assumption that something is an agreement is going on between the two countries that is not transparent and is not revealed to the uh, country. This is exactly what was happening in Ukraine. Like in 2013, the Ukrainian president has signed clandestine agreement with Putin, and we did not know about it for, uh, for a long time, not for a long time, but for a few weeks until it was uh, revealed. So uh, I think Russia is well known for um, striking the agreements which are not open and transparent to the public. So when we hear that uh, uh, President Ramaphosa says that South Africa takes a uh, position of neutrality, but it goes against over 20 years of uh, South African experience in uh, public uh, diplomacy, it obviously leaves us with the question, why suddenly South Africa is not following its constitution that is very strong on human rights, on freedom, on the sovereignty, and decides to, in this specific uh, case, uh, to say we are taking neutrality while at the same time mentioning that war could have been avoided if NATO would hear its own leaders. So we don't call Russia to stop the invasion, which was a big principle for Mandela's um, time, who always said we need to stop violence, stop violence. What makes Ramaphosa stop saying these words? And if we look at all the arguments, you know, from being part of BRICS to anti-apartheid movements, none of them hold. Because if you look at the anti-apartheid uh, movement, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. A lot of ANC leaders studied in Ukraine. They were, Ukraine contributed uh, this significantly to uh, anti-apartheid movements. And if you look at the BRICS countries, similarly, Brazil voted uh, in support of uh, UN resolution on the 2nd of uh, March that uh, called immediate, uh, immediately to stop the invasion of Ukraine. But South Africa decides to keep so-called neutrality. So it once again leaves us with the questions, what kind of neutrality it is? And even more, what is it based on? Because if International Court of Justice, UN reports, UN resolutions is not enough for South Africa 
to call the invasion invasion and contribute to stopping the violence, to stopping killing people, then it leaves us with the question, what is so important for South African government to protect that it sacrifices all that to stand today with Russia? It's a very interesting point that you raised, that when the former Ukrainian president that was kicked out of power through a people's revolution, that it was later disclosed that he had a secret deal with Putin. I guess what you're telling us now is, should we not be asking whether there's a secret deal with Ramaphosa? I would think so. We know that at the beginning of December, uh, Ramaphosa and Putin had a number of phone calls. Uh, Putin has chosen to thank uh, South Africa during his cabinet meeting and also during four-hour press conference on internal issues. Its uh, opening remarks started with, we are grateful to South Africa. No other countries have been mentioned. Obviously, like what has been discussed during those December meetings that were so uh, important, but even if it's not has been discussed then, what holds Ramaphosa today? What is the reason? In case of Ukraine, this was energy debate. Um, uh, Russia has been manipulating Ukrainian uh, authorities and the government through the gas pipe. And only in 2014, after Russia has invaded Ukraine, the, our government had to make those bold decisions to jump off the gas pipe and become more energy independent. It is a question of what is Russia bringing to uh, South Africa today? Because we don't see that neutrality that Ramaphosa is um, uh, saying in the treatment of Ukrainian and Russian citizens either. If Russian citizens can easily come without visa to South Africa, at the time of uh, the conflict, all the Ukrainians were prohibited to come. So even those who were relatives for the first two weeks were not allowed to apply for visa. At the moment, this has been changed, and the three uh, embassies are uh, taking um, Ukrainian citizens who are immediate relatives of South Africans or those who are permanent residents. But if Ukrainian is living here on a temporary residence, and we have those cases, for example, there are 11 researchers that are de co-developing um, Ukrainian South African satellite, and they can't bring their wives and husbands to South Africa to stay with them. They're earning salary they can afford. So what is the reason for South African government not to allow Ukrainians to come to South Africa to stay here while Russians can come here without visa? Some very interesting questions that you raise there. But from a, from a broader perspective, when you read in the local media and uh, commentators, South, just normal South African commentators who are saying, well, uh, Putin is justified to invade Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainians asked for this by suggesting that they join NATO and the EU, etc. Uh, what would most Ukrainians, um, how would most Ukrainians respond to, to that kind of uh, communication? Um, you see, uh, I think uh, Ukrainians have been very well trained on disinformation by uh, Russian government. So in 2014 and before that, Russia has permanently manipulated Ukrainians with the language issue. Or you are pro-Ukrainian, or you are pro-Russian, or you are pro-Western. So they're looking for the divide and they are using disinformation to manipulate it. And in South Africa, we've seen the same was happening during the nuclear deal, how easy it was to paint 
um, the uh, nuclear energy as an energy of black people, while renewable energy as an energy of white people. The same happening with this war. You know, currently we say, oh, because, you know, black population is supporting uh, uh, Russia and white population are supporting uh, Ukraine, instead of saying, who is standing with the human rights? And I think on the ordinary, uh, in everyday conversation, we can hear, hear, hear very strongly that those who are fighting against gender-based violence in South Africa, against poverty in South Africa, they are standing with Ukraine. And that doesn't matter whether they are black or white. So it raises even more questions. So why South African government is not standing with those who, who are activists on the ground? So Ukrainians uh, really have learned to uh, check the information and the source of information where it comes from. We had multiple initiatives, and I know in South Africa there are also a lot of initiatives, but I think uh, the scale of um, fact-checking uh, organizations and uh, just the education of uh, citizens on uh, how to debunk this information is um, uh, much um, more progressive uh, in Ukraine. So, for example, if we hear that Russia is claiming that Ukraine has been doing genocide for eight years, we would go to the source and we would see, okay, so first time the narrative about mass graves that Russia is claiming they're using generally appeared in August 2021. And it, Russia says that those mass grave, uh, graves were at the territories that have been for eight years controlled by Russia. So first official accusation from Russian government of mass graves come on the 16th of February, 2022. What makes South African politicians to repeat the narrative that was promoted 16th of February, 2022, just one week before the invasion as a reason? Have there been UN commission? No. Have there been any external international observers from South African government? Who can prove this information? No one. So what makes you to repeat this argument? And I think this is a very good question, because if you go to UN reports, 2014, 2016, reports on Crimea, all they say, like, first of all, Russia has brought its military troops to the territory of Ukraine. So why we don't treat those documents that have been internationally approved to international observers, but we choose to listen to Russian narratives. And it's especially important, I think, uh, because if you look at the case of war and South African embassy in Ukraine, South African ambassador has told South African citizens in Ukraine not to believe that Russia is going to invade because they believed what Russia was saying, that Russia does not plan to invade Ukraine. So this resulted that ambassador at the time of beginning of the war was in Kiev, all South African citizens did not evacuate, similar to many others who were recommended to evacuate in advance. So by trusting Russian government, South African ambassador and DIRCO put South African citizens in a risk. What do you defend in this situation? If we understand the, the source of information, I think it becomes a lot easier for us to, to realize what we must believe and not. Now, we know in, in Russia, if you're a journalist, and if you suggest that there is a war happening, you go to jail for 15 years. There is no more independent media in Russia. The only information that you're getting is from the state. 
What is the media landscape like in Ukraine? Um, I think, uh, obviously, we, uh, Ukraine also has uh, some challenges, but I think Ukraine made uh, many significant progress. For example, in 2015, it made a very bold decision to open all the KGB archives to all the citizens. So this uh, allowed uh, every citizen or researcher or media person to go back and to uh, read on what is what was happening during Second World War, during Holodomor, and to get a better understanding of the history. So there is a massive difference uh, on how, the, how Ukrainians understand their history and Russians, because for like in 2005, there was massive discovery of Holodomor, and Holodomor was a man-made um, famine organized by Stalin on the territory of Ukraine that took lives of three to seven million of Ukrainians. For the whole 70 years until Ukrainian independence, it was prohibited to even mention such things. So while those stories would exist in a very reduced way as a family histories, even grandparents would be scared to tell those stories to their children, fearing that they might be sent to Siberia or repressed. So obviously Ukraine went a long way into rediscovering its past, its history, and understanding its present. Ukraine has relatively free media and uh, multiple different uh, opinions. When uh, we read the reports coming from the international media, and, and we are a partner with the Wall Street Journal, this morning, for instance, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported that there are approximately 40 thousand Russian troops that have either been killed, wounded, or uh, defected, um, or, or surrendered, or been, been captured. Now, this is a huge number, uh, one in well, one-fifth of the total of the invasion force, of an invasion which was only supposed to last a few days. And the world is looking at Ukrainians and saying, how are these people so resilient? How come they've stood up against this invading force, against these incredible odds, but more than that, that they've stopped the war from being lost in just a few days as everybody had anticipated it would. I think um, it's an um, iteration of Russian aggression. Like uh, in 2005, when Ukrainians came to the street to stand for their uh, freedom against the falsified elections, the belief was we are standing here, we've spent almost 100 days standing in the winter in minus 20 on a street peacefully for uh, independent elections. Once, once the proper government will be elected, our situation will be sorted. Very quickly, we will learn that there is not, no such things as a proper government because there are so many influences that the government will be moved different directions. So in 2013, when pro-Russian president made again the deal with uh, Russia and went against the parliamentary decision to sign agreement with EU because the parliament has voted that the president has to sign this agreement. Then the prime minister arrived to the signing place and suddenly said, we're not going to sign it without revealing that they've received 15 billion dollars or by a promise to receive 15 billion of dollars from Russia. So Ukrainians went on the street again to defend their freedom, their democracy, their choices. And that was revolution of dignity. 
This time around, uh, the uh, pro-Russian forces re re responded with a lot of violence. But even not that. The, after that, Russian invasion on the territory of Ukraine, taking over Crimea and eastern part of Ukraine, that's really served as a vaccination against Russian military invasion for both for Ukrainian people and I think for um, uh, other countries um, outside of Ukraine. Because in a short period of time, Ukraine that didn't really have army because nobody was planning to fight have built an army. And for eight years, we were building Ukrainian army. For eight years, volunteers around the world and in Ukraine were making sure that this army is strong. They were learning how to debunk disinformation. So all Russian threats, cyber attacks, disinformation, paramilitary groups, where suddenly we learned how to work with them. So it's not like Russia has now suddenly started to invade and we didn't know what would happen to Ukrainian territory if Russia takes over, like people didn't know when Donetsk and Luhansk were walked in by Russian military troops. People thought, okay, maybe we're going to be, you know, in line with Russia. Suddenly people are tortured. They have no freedom. No one wants to be in the shoes of Donetsk or Luhansk Republic because they have no choice. Also, Russia has moved, Russia has moved uh, significantly towards totalitarian society. And Ukrainians don't want that. We've already spent 2013, we've lost 100 lives on the streets of Kyiv, not to be in a totalitarian society. Now, we also have responsibility for those people who lost their lives then to defend our country. So at this situation, everybody feels that we are standing for Ukrainian country for our country, because if Russia going to take over, it's not about NATO or about anything else. Putin has clearly mentioned in his article that he published in July 2021 that Ukrainians don't exist. Ukrainians in Kremlin's ideology do not exist. So unless all Ukrainians are killed, Putin is not satisfied. And that's what makes, gives Ukrainians superpower to stand against significantly stronger army. Because Ukrainians are standing for their freedom, for their democracy, for their life, for the life of their children. And it's a very different conversation. And that's why even more painful to hear South African positioning, completely ignoring Ukrainian agency and the fight that Ukrainians have for our freedom, thinking that this is a dialogue on a larger geopolitical scale. But it, it is an ANC position. It's not a South African position. Certainly the opposition uh, political parties have come out very strongly, the Democratic Alliance and then this morning uh, Action SA, to say that they stand with U the Ukrainian people. And, and their sur uh, surveys show that most South Africans relate to the Ukrainian struggle, but the people of Ukraine, are they looking at, at this country with disappointment? Yes, I think uh, obviously, um, maybe, uh, you know, Ukrainians are so much caught up with a fight that they don't uh, necessarily are actively following. But uh, uh, if uh, I'm mentioning to any of my friends who are in Ukraine, that South African government does not support Ukraine. They just can't believe it because it's a, such a violation of all human rights. 
this, of any international principle, you know, what Russia has done, they violated all nuclear principles, uh, all sovereignty principles, so all the basics of international law. What would make any independent government to stand today with Russia? And we you know, like the countries that uh, support, that are standing with Russia, that vote with Russia, are very far from independent or strong economies or looking after their people. How do you see this all ending? I think uh, Russia is going to disintegrate. Um, it's probably going to last uh, for um, for a few more months. But um, Russian losses are very high. Uh, and uh, we can expect also that the Russian oligarchs will start uh, fighting back. And um, Ukraine will regain its uh, territory. It, the question is not how it's going to end. The question is when, and the more international community is waiting with condemnation of Russia, the longer it takes, the more civilian deaths it's going to take. And we can see how the war has shifted, how Russia really goes for uh, civilian uh, apartments, killing civilians, children, uh, hospitals. Um, At the moment, it's very, very difficult to observe every single day, as we know so many people will be killed every day. And the, the president of Ukraine, does he have the admiration of the Ukrainian people in the same way as it appears as though people internationally are uh, applauding him? I think so. I think so. Uh, obviously, he was elected by 73% of Ukrainian population. And I did not vote for him. I was not supportive of uh, President Zelensky. Um, I thought it was uh, quite a manipulative way of uh, being associated with people. And that's why people supported him, because the way he spoke, everything seemed to be easy to be resolved. His approach was, we're going to look into eyes of uh, President Putin and we're going to stop the war. So everything seemed to be easy. We're just going to say no to oligarchs. We're going to look into Putin's eyes and everything will be resolved. But we can see how that his approach turned really to be his strong superpower because currently lots of people are associated with him. President Zelensky has a massive support of 93% of population at the moment in Ukraine. And the same 93% of population feel that the can't be made compromise on the territorial integrity of Ukraine. So it's not a question of let's make a quick peace and we can move on. Ukrainians understand if Russian military forces are not moved out, the price that already has been paid will be even higher because Russia is going to come back, regroup and continue because we've seen that 2004, 2013 and now. Uh, 2022. It's just a continuation of that attack on Ukrainian sovereignty. So it did not stop. And there is no other solution than to push Russia back. Dvinka, what is your day job here in South Africa? Before 1st of March, I was a researcher at the Stellenbosch University. I looked at the Russian involvement in Southern Africa and uh, disinformation. But uh, as the war started, uh, I'm uh, fully involved in the, uh, supporting Ukrainian community and Ukrainian Association of South Africa to respond to this uh, crisis. 
So it, what we've tried to do is to call on South African government to condemn Russian invasion through protest and petitioning and also uh, through meeting with uh, different uh, civil society organizations and explaining what is happening in Ukraine. So because there is maybe not that much uh, natural connection and not so many uh, Ukrainians uh, and South Africans are close friends to explain what is happening on the ground. We're also trying to arrange humanitarian aid and we've partnered with uh, Gift of the Givers, a South African organization that are uh, helping us uh, to organize humanitarian aid because humanitarian crisis is really enormous. Um, we have three million of people that uh, have left the country, but another almost 7 million that were internally displaced, like similar to my sister that moved to the Western part. So those people that left with nothing and uh, often their houses have been destroyed, the need for medical aid and uh, also so many enterprises are not functioning, fields are not uh, been um, growing food, the uh, bakeries are not uh, baking bread. So there is um, just enormous amount of suffering that uh, we can see. And we believe that um, uh, South Africans can support Ukraine in this uh, difficult time because the scale of this crisis is massive and it's going to massively impact also African continent. And the third one, we are trying to and negotiate uh, the change of the visa status for Ukrainians because we believe that those Ukrainians who are in such a difficult situation have the right to come to South Africa and stay here even if it's fully sponsored visa. We have the case where the uh, NGO from Hasekwa from Riversdale has been partnering with Ukrainian uh, organization in Bosnesensk for 20 years. Every year, people are going to visit each other from South Africa to Ukraine, from Ukraine to South Africa. Now, Bosnesensk has been bombed. It has been in the news all over. People run away. South African NGO says, we want to bring four people from uh, Bosnesensk to South Africa. This, uh, the leader of NGO is a deeply supportive of ANC. Even with all his connection, he could not help them to get visas because South African government denied them. So even this would be fully funded visa, they would be able to work here in South Africa. South African government did not allow that. We believe this is absolutely unacceptable and this needs to be changed.